Welcome to Sports Med Res's This Week in Review podcast, where we highlight the recent news in sports medicine research. Over the past two weeks, we had four posts on sportsmedres.org. That's res.org. In the first two posts, we highlighted new, two new consensus statements regarding concussion and parasport and operative treatment options for patellofemoral arthritis. In the third post, we focused on a systematic review where the authors conclude that creatine supplementation may not improve recovery from exercise-induced muscle damage. Finally, we had a post where we examined two papers where the authors reported that half of patients may not need an anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction. However, we need strategies to identify who is going to respond best to non-operative care. Patients who undergo early ACL reconstruction may report slightly better outcomes at certain time points. However, an early ACL reconstruction is not cost-effective, and people who succeed with conservative care may have the best outcomes. This week, we have Dr. Nicole Catano, one of our regular contributors to SportsMed Res, to discuss the results of this latest clinical trial and to help us put it into context. Welcome, Nicole. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me on. Sure. So I think this is an interesting study, and I know you've written for us in the past about the Canoon trial, which was probably the first trial that tested whether or not there's a benefit to doing ACL reconstruction. So I was wondering if you can kind of help us put the summary I just had described into context of what did the Canoon trial find and what should we be taking from all of us? Sure. I think what's really fascinating about this Canoon trial is, is people are randomized either into the conservative group where they're not going to have ACL surgery right away or they're um, going to go ahead and, and have ACL surgery. And so they've looked at a pretty wide set of, of po- folks in adults 18 to 35, I think it is the inclusion criteria. Um, but basically what they're finding is that not everyone who goes for that conservative route ends up needing to have ACL surgery, that they, they have effectively adapted over the years, um, and, and about half of them end up not needing to have surgery. The other half eventually decides that they're going to need to have that ACL reconstruction. So wh- what I think is really fascinating about this community trial is, is that if you give a little bit of time, there might be an opportunity for a patient to avoid ACL surgery and a secondary traumatic um, insult to that area. So it's really fascinating because I think as clinicians, we need to start to think about how can we identify who will respond best to that conservative route uh, with rehabilitation and and adaptations to to their new functional lives um, and who will not and then ultimately need to go ahead and have surgery. I think if you look at the posts, you see that um, those that had the best outcomes were those that either had no surgery whatsoever, so they were the conservative group. And, but those that had the worst outcomes for those that started in the conservative neurosurgery group, but then had to default and have surgery. So I think taking an active role early on and us trying to decide as researchers and as clinicians who might be the best candidate for this conservative route is really going to be um, instrumental for us moving forward. I mean, I thought it was really interesting that both from a cost-effective point of view and the quality of life point of view, the people who succeed in the conservative care really did much better than everybody else. But then on the other side of the coin, those who really failed were costing the most, but also experiencing the worst quality of life. Um, You know, so, I mean, this raises the idea that there are some people out there that will succeed. Do we have any ideas of how to identify these people or how should we go down that path? Well, I think it's a really interesting point. And I think 
what we have to think about is is our athletic versus our non-athletic population. And, and, you know, we're all an athlete somewhere inside. But in looking at if someone's trying to run and cut in a lacrosse um, game or a basketball game, they might not be the best candidates. So if we're looking at the United States in general, we're going to have to probably start with the general population, the recreationally, physically active population, um, and see, you know, right now in the United States, everyone believes you tear your ACL, you need ACL surgery. And I think it's going to be a pretty big culture shift for us to start to approach it that maybe that's in fact not true. And it's going to take create a little bit of buy-in. Um, but I think that it's difficult to say if we know who's going to respond versus not respond. I think we need to do a little bit more research there. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it's funny. I think it reminds me back to when I was still in training um, over 20 years ago and Lynn Snyder-Mackler was proposing the idea of copers and non-copers for ACL injuries. And she had all those hop tests that she was doing. And even with that, trying to identify copers with that and then putting them through a perturbation training program, there was still that just general rule of if you had, I think it was like two instability events, it was time for you to go down the surgical route. So it was an interesting idea of that, but I don't know if we've really seen that mature further to the point of we can confidently say, you know, if you meet these criteria on hot performance and you're having no instability events that you're good to go. But I think it's the most appealing direction to potentially go because I haven't seen other encouraging signs that we can identify these people. Yeah, and I think that's a great point, but I think what we also need to start to take into consideration is I like the three strikes, you know, two instability events, and then, you know, this isn't for you. But I think we might even start, need to start looking at kind of the mental readiness and, and confidence that folks have, you know, because if, if you're pretty confident that you need to have ACL surgery and I say, no, you don't, let's wait and see, you know, you might not be a full believer of it. So you might not be walking the way you normally do. You might not be running and cutting the way you normally might be doing. You know, and so just that, that mental trepidation, I think if we look at, at some of the ACL readiness scales, in addition to some of the PROs, I think these might be valuable tools for us to, to include um, in our traditional evaluation. I think that's a great point. Like we need to think about the patient perspective, but also related to that, I think we need to know, come to grasp with how we may be biasing our patients' perspectives as well. I think particularly in the United States, we have a heavy focus on the ACL reconstruction and it's what most of our patients have seen their peers get when they tear their ACL injury. Um, so I think it's, we need to consider that, but we also need to consider how we could potentially improve a patient's self-efficacy of receiving a non-operative care. And I wonder too, if it's some of that is having discussions with our patients about, you know, we can go down this route of doing a nine to 12 month rehab after surgery to get you back to play, or we can try this route and potentially have, see if you can return in four to six months, four to six weeks or a little bit longer. And if we need to, we'll go back down the surgical route, you know? So I think there may be some ways of enticing patients to think about it, or at least ensure they're making an informed decision. I think you and I've had this conversation in the past that the patient at least needs to know what their options are so that they can make an informed decision of, it's not just, I get an ACL reconstruction because that's what everybody does after it, but that they can make an informed decision of here's the pros and cons of both routes. Yeah, and I think when you look at athletes, this is where it gets tricky because the timing of seasons can really muddle with their decision. Um, and, and it could be a pro and it could be a con because it could be a pro in that 
your season is still going on. So we try to conservatively manage you and see if you could possibly return to play. Um, but if that fails, then you're kind of putting next season at, at risk. And, you know, I, I do think it is going to be a pretty big cultural shift, but I'm 100 percent in agreement with you. We need to kind of give our patients options as opposed to having a, an ACL surgery or ACL tear equals ACL surgery. Yeah, particularly for, you know, the students who or the athletes that tear their ACL that may be in a transition in their career, their athletic career. I think it's a particular moment to have the conversation of, do we really need to go down the ACL reconstruction route for you? Where are you thinking that you're going to, for a high school athlete, I'm thinking, are you going to, are you intending to compete competitively at the college level? If so, that's one discussion. If not, and you're thinking about being more recreationally active, then that's another discussion for us to have of whether or not to try the ACL reconstruction route or not. Absolutely. I agree with you. I think it's a great opportunity. And I always joke with, with my students and my patients that if I were to tear my ACL walking out my front door today, I would not get it fixed right away. Um, and, and I would probably try the conservative route. Yeah. I mean, I'm in, in the same position. I mean, I am active. I'm still, but I'm not running, pivoting, doing my pivoting sports or anything like that. So my first option would be try conservative. And if I find I can't do my ADLs and my regular physical activity without it, then I know what my, my next choice is. But I want to try the conservative route. Sure. And I, I do think, I mean, I've seen some successful cases of, of folks returning in a conservative route um, to cutting. And I do think it takes a pretty special neuromuscularly developed person, you know, to, to be that, that person. But even that's possible, you know, so, so I can still go cut, maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I remember uh, when I was still practicing that I had patients that managed to pull it off. And you could almost tell while they're doing rehab that this person just had what it took. I don't know how we really quantified it, but you could tell how they were performing in the rehab and how they were progressing. And like you said, their confidence that they were likely to be successful going this route. Right, Jeff. And I think you just said it. They had what it took. And I think as researchers and clinicians, we've got to do a better job at quantifying and saying, what is it? What is it that they have? And how can we measure that? Um, or gauge that as best we can, because if there's someone who's totally cautious and not committed to it, it, it they're not all in, you know, and I think for someone to be successful, they have to, to, to be all in and understand and believe it. Yeah. And so I guess the, the other thing, too, that we often hear is patients think that, you know, the ACL reconstruction is going to protect their joint in the long term. And I think it's important for everybody to kind of recognize that that's not really what the goal of the ACL reconstruction was when it was designed. It was really to improve your ability to return to activity. And that, you know, the Canoon trial, we don't know about this new trial, but the Canoon trial seems to be offering clear evidence that delaying the ACL reconstruction doesn't really set you up for long-term issues. You know, we're not seeing greater risk of cartilage loss or um, osteoarthritis or even worse quality of life measures. So I think we need to get rid of that way of thinking about this debate on whether or not we need to do the ACL reconstruction. I agree. And I, I think sometimes the ACL rehabilitation recovery process is just so long and so um, time and labor and, and emotionally um, testing that saying it's going to protect you in the long run is an easier sell than it's going to get you back to play basketball maybe at about 80% of what you were, but good luck. Like, I, I think we have to do a better job at, at really kind of understanding this is going to get you back to play basketball or whatever sport you want to do. Um, 
it's not going to protect you long term. Educate them in that regard. Um, and and you don't have to have surgery. We could still try to to give a good conservative effort and rehab here um, and see how you fare just in the first little bit, because I think we would know pretty quickly whether or not someone would would respond or not. Yeah. So I, here's a situation where we now have two clinical trials that are basically saying that there are people who can manage non-operatively with an ACL tear um, fairly successfully, and that ACL reconstruction immediately is not always needed. Um, we know from past experiences that these clinical trials take a long time to translate into clinical practice. What do you think it's gonna take to get these clinical trial results into our clinics to, in the near future? I think that's tough. I think. Seeing more people take the risk of not having ACL surgery, and it, it's silly for me to say that out loud that that's a risk, but it, it's it's a shift from what the rest of the world is doing or rest of the nation is doing. Um, but seeing more success stories for folks conservatively managing, um, and maybe even like at high profile levels, I think would be helpful. The other thing I think is it's going to take is is it's it's a shift in culture. You know, it's if someone thinks they have a broken bone, they go in and get an x-ray right away because they need to know. It's not that they need that x-ray right away, but they kind of want to start the process and, and, and make a commitment and know which direction they're going to head. You know, so so the United States healthcare system, I think we're just used to there's a problem. Let me fix it and move forward. And I think we have to understand there's more of that why in the road. But there's a problem. I have options. Um, but I think it's going to take some more education. Um, probably more research um, in addition to, to maybe some higher um, viewable or publicized success stories. And on that education note, you know, so it, it's clearly going to take some time to get this to translate into clinical practice. And there's probably more things we need to know. But it does seem that there is some education that needs to be occurring today with our patient population. So with the Canoon trial and this new COMPARE trial, how are you thinking when you approach your patients with an ACL injury about um, their choices for ACL reconstruction versus like this optional delay? Sure. So, I mean, I think when I look at my current patients, well, first, my students, when I educate them, is I talk to them about that surgery is not necessarily always warranted or needed and that there are more options out there. Um, in, in regards to my clinical work and directly working with my patients, I talk to them about kind of what are their goals um, moving forward from here. I've had patients that have torn their ACL their senior year, their last competitive year. You know, are they choosing to go professionally or are they not? Um, and, and at the Division II level, professional conversations don't happen as often, but I do have a couple of basketball players that have been successful professionally um, overseas. And so, you know, that's important in understanding what their goals are. Um, but really just starting to educate them and understand that it's a lifelong commitment. Even if they have the surgery, they're not guaranteed. They're not going to have problems moving forward and that they really need to, to be an informed participant in that they're making decisions that are going to be in the benefit of, of their, their physical health uh, and their joint health. Great. Is there, before we start to wrap up, is there anything else that from the two trials, the Canoon trial and this new COMPARE trial that you think listeners should think about when they are thinking about these two studies and their results? Yeah, I mean, I think they should look at the patient reported outcomes. And I, I think that what you notice is that the people that choose not to have surgery are still performing relatively well, if not better than some of those that are, are getting surgery. 
So where even though this is a culture shift um, for the United States specifically, I think that these results are promising. And I think we need to start to question, um, you know, kind of how we have traditionally practiced here. And to that point, it reminds me a lot of the discussion we've been having probably over the last five, 10 years about the need for some of the meniscal surgeries we've seen with, for example, degenerative meniscal tears. You know, the old adage was you, you scope it and you treat it. And we're now seeing a growing body of trials saying, you know, that might not be the always the best option. Sure. And I think if, if the body is a, a, a miraculous thing, you know, it finds a way to, to do things that we don't think it, it should be able to do. And I think if, if you're having problems with it, yes, fix it. But if it's not broke, you know, you don't have to try to go fix it. You know, maybe, maybe we can continue to move forward and, and learn and, and adapt as necessary. Great. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. It's good chatting with you. Yeah. Don't forget that we also share extra material on social media. And if you're an athletic trainer who's looking for evidence-based practice CEUs, then please check out our six online evidence-based practice courses available through the Human Kinetics website. We'll have links to our summaries and the courses on our website and in the show notes. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more sports medicine research. Until then, have a fun one.